Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, Rebels. You know, I recently gave an International Women's Day talk for a group of executive women on leaving a legacy, how executive and senior leaders can fix the leaky pipeline and make room for the next generation of female leaders. It was a great talk. (laughs) And in the talk, I shared with women in positions of power and authority what, what they need to stop doing and what they need to start doing to ensure that the next generation of female leaders are available to take their place. So since you probably weren't there, I want to share some of the highlights with you here on the podcast, because the women shared that it was really good. And it was a powerful reframe for them. And I do think it's a very important conversation to have, because we're at a place of mission critical. And so we have to start doing some things that we have never done before. We have to start looking at this from through a new lens in order to start making a difference based on the changes that are happening in the current landscape of work and to be able to create greater and better opportunities for the next generation of females and female leaders in the workplace. So let's first talk about why legacy matters. So I want you to imagine with me a story. I want to tell you a little story. Imagine years in the future, a newly hired leader is walking through the halls of a successful company that's been in business for over 50 years. And as she walks past the boardroom, she notices a portrait hanging on the wall of a woman she's never seen before, because she's sure she remembers meeting all the other women whose portraits are also on the wall. Now, she asked one of the staff, who is this woman? And she tells her that she was one of the first female senior leaders in the company. And in fact, that woman is you. And she goes on to share that you were not only a trailblazer, but you left behind a legacy that helped pave the way for future generations of female leaders like herself to be able to step into the position that she actually has that your dedication to creating opportunities for women in the workplace helped create a more amazing culture within the company and that the impact you made is still felt today. Now, can you imagine that? Isn't that a powerful story? Now, and it may not feel probable right now in your current workplace or in the current climate that we're in, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't aspire to make this type of story the norm and not the extraordinary. Now, the good news is that we've made significant progress over the past years. And in 2022 alone, we saw a 12% increase in women in the C-suite and on executive boards. Yay, right? Well, the bad news is that's only a drop in the bucket because we still have a ways to go to reach parity. And not only is there not enough talented, skilled, early career professional women making it to the next level of leadership, we saw the largest drop in the percentage of women going from mid to senior level positions than we've seen in years. 
And this is from a woman in leadership study that IBM actually just released on March 1st of this year. So these numbers reflect the current state of affairs. And when we couple that with the McKinsey's 2022 report on women in the workplace, where they reported that we're in the midst of the great breakup with women leaving their companies in unprecedented numbers or switching jobs at the highest rates we've seen, the impact on many organizations' bottom lines and competitiveness in the open marketplace are now in question. And when organizations can't even hold on to the female leaders they have, What does that say about the women following behind them? Now, another factor to consider in the mix is that late baby boomers and early Xers are becoming eligible for retirement. So we have to consider if even 1% of women leaders in these populations left the workforce, as they're doing already in record numbers, what will that mean for the millennials who are now anywhere between 26 and 42? And with the study showing there are more women in the U.S. population by two to one than men, and that women are earning more undergraduate and graduate degrees than men, what impact will all of this have on an organization's reputation in the marketplace when it comes to the ability to attract and retain new female talent? Now, finally, in the next 12 months, as many as 30% of women are planning to seek a new job, 30% are expected to leave their jobs temporarily to care for family, 27% are anticipating resigning for mental health or physical reasons, and 24% are simply planning to leave the workforce permanently. Now, when you consider that companies with women executives outperform other companies by as much as 30%, I'd say we're at a check engine light moment. Both private and public sectors have got to start doing something to create and leave a legacy of women that will protect the pipeline from further shocks and start fixing all those leaks. A legacy that will promote inclusion, advance innovation, and ensure the long-term success and sustainability of organizations. So how do we create this legacy? Well, as I always say, if you want something you never had before, you got to start doing something you've never done. So let's start with what we need to stop doing. And we have to stop using the same old approaches that clearly are no longer proving effective. I mean, the numbers are showing it. And while there may may be singular instances of success, there's just not enough widespread or lasting success, at least not enough to make the impact it needs to make on fixing the pipeline. For example, the way we do mentorship and sponsorship needs to change dramatically. I mean, we need to stop doing one-off training and awareness events and really rethink our ideas of targeted hiring and ad hoc coaching without really addressing the underlying needs for all of these. With regard to mentorship and sponsorships, a Harvard Business Review study with 3,000 professionals across industries revealed that only about half have ever had any mentoring in their careers. And among those who have, only 25% were formally assigned mentors. But the kicker is that most mentoring relationships continue to evolve organically or not part of any formal program. Perhaps more disheartening is that the data on the outcomes of the programs are mixed, meaning that while they are having some mentorship, those who are having them are finding little benefit or any meaningful engagement. So they're not really useful. 
And that's because we've seen over the years that there's a lack of commitment to these type of programs, that there's not enough allocated, insufficient resources, support, training, or time for them to really be effective programs. And as a result, as we saw in the study, they tend to evolve organically. Somebody may see someone they like, or somebody may ask for some ask someone for support, but there's nothing really standardized or operationalized. And as we see, they're not effective even when they do have those type of relationships, right? Because there's not enough training, which is the next issue of mentor and mentees. So they're just kind of making it up as they go along. And most relationships kind of look like this. A mentor tells them basically, here's what I did to get ahead, and here's what you should do too, based on their experiences. Now, the third issue with that is that if there's a lack of diversity or even some unconscious bias, no matter what the best of intentions could potentially be for the relationship, when you're sharing what worked for you, it may not have the same effect on your mentee if they are not of the same race or gender or socioeconomic class as you, right? Or have the same type of connections or opportunities. So you're practically nullifying the effectiveness of the relationship if these type of things are at play. And when there continues to be systematic barriers, like trying to climb a ladder with broken rungs, like McKinsey talks about, effectively blocking the advancement of female leaders anyway, even the best of mentoring and sponsorship will always prove to be ineffective. Now, when it comes to one-off training and awareness events, people rarely account for the forgetting curve meaning that we often forget 80% of what we learned over 30 days. And this was found by a German psychologist centuries ago. And since the majority of time, money, and effort spent on training programs tends to focus on the delivery of the program and not so much on the follow-up, the over $100 billion spent on training in 2022 alone will have less than a 20% effectiveness rate. And that number drops significantly more after three months, because studies show that we forget even more after three months. Now, these programs don't provide for spaced repetition that allows for continual improvement, re-engagement, and follow-up that needs to happen after training. So when you do a one-off training, and you're not allowing for spaced repetition following, and not just another check-in in 30 days, but a longer check-in and application over months and months and months to reinforce understanding and engagement, they're going to fall flat. So more programs need to utilize andragogy or adult experiential learning that will allow for the daily application and integration of what's learned. And without those, which are not present in one-off trainings or awareness events, those, those things tend to prove ineffective. And the problem with targeted hiring and ad hoc coaching is that they fail to deal with the root causes of, for these types of initiatives. For example, target hiring is great, but a house built by giraffes won't ever really work for an elephant, not unless there are some major changes, meaning you want to get your house in order before you invite company over. And that particular story about the giraffe and the elephant is a nod to R. Roosevelt Thomas's work on equity and inclusion and the parable he wrote about the giraffe and the elephant. And I'll go ahead and drop that in the show notes so that you can read it. It's a great story. And ad hoc coaching, which I call reactionary or corrective coaching, 
is only usually in response into to a singular issue that often doesn't offer large scale implications for the organization. So you kind of fix or deal with one problem, but then you're constantly going in and fixing one problem, one problem, and one problem, and you're not creating a solution for the whole. So it's kind of like having a leaky pipeline where you need to possibly replace the pipe, but you're just putting band-aids on all the holes. It's just not going to work. Ad hoc coaching is often offered when the organization has failed to implement its own policies and procedures correctly or expeditiously. Listen, coaching should never be an ad hoc tactic. If you're trying to use it for those purposes, then you don't understand what coaching actually is and how to use it appropriately. So from from an organizational setting, coaching should be a part of an at-scale system of leadership development. It should be embedded in the large-scale process, which again accounts for and supports this space repetition that allows for the retention of information and the actual changing of behavior. So what's missing? Well, based on our experience, we've discovered that there's a lack of forward-focused solutions and peer-to-peer connections that will ultimately impact retention and innovation. And organizations are going to have to break the deeply embedded patterns found in these programs and create a legacy system that will work in the current workplace climate. So if they're ready to uh, settle into the long game and stop using short-term strategies at the expense of long-term talent development, then change can actually be made. The pipeline can actually be fixed. And from our perspective, there are three strategies that our company supports organizations with that will work to change the tide. First, you got to reframe the narrative. That's first and foremost. You got to start with an internal communication strategy that supports the idea that gender equity and inclusion is not a women's issue, but an organizational one. An organizational one, meaning that it contributes to the financial performance of the organization, and that you also have to communicate that it's not a zero-sum game proposition. Now, study after study have already laid out the economic gains made when organizations have a significant female leadership in their in their organization when they show when they have a showing of strong female leadership. So that's a clear message that gender equity is an organizational issue which can be supported with sufficient data points and organizations themselves who have implemented these strategies and are showing 19, 20 and 30% per higher financial performance rates in their organization before they implemented these strategies. But the obvious nagging notion that even the most open-minded of people may fall into is that if a woman wins a seat, right, that somehow another, a male may lose a seat, right? And that was an important point that IBM actually revealed. So to overcome this notion, we believe that any gender equity initiative developed and rolled out should involve men and women as equal partners in overseeing strategic enterprise-wide efforts to improve representation and to model desired behaviors. Now, reverse mentoring is one example and an exceptional way for male leaders to see the many ways gender biases prevent themselves, prevent women actually from promoting throughout the organization. And this level of empathy can be a catalyst to motivate not only behavioral changes, but a different response to these efforts. And in addition, using learning experiences instead of singular training programs would also be really helpful. 
right? When you have an expertly designed learning experience, that can really go a long way in creating lasting behavioral changes because they'll serve to shift underlying beliefs, assumptions, and emotions that will help to create this legacy, right? This cultural change and a different legacy approach. In addition to reverse mentoring, peer-to-peer masterminds have proven to be very effective in organizations wanting to lower the attrition rates of female leadership and to advance career mobility. Finally, using coaching is an effective way to create sustainable change when it's part of a long-term talent development and learning experiences. Every CEO and leader needs to check their blind spots in order to embrace a broader set of steps required to close the gender gap and ongoing coaching can really help to achieve that. Remember, it's the long game organizations must be committed to in order to achieve success. And a study done by the International Journal of Evidence-Based Coaching and Mentoring found that 75% of leaders saw the value of executive and leadership coaching as considerably greater or far greater than the money and time they invested into it. Now, when you're introducing innovative strategies, there may be some objections. Usually they're around time, cost, and of course, the buy-in of leaders across the organization can prove to be problematic. But when you implement these strategies in a way that accounts for these objections, you'll find little to any pushback. For example, when our company works with organizations on these change initiatives, we find that by incorporating this work within the day-to-day responsibilities eliminates the time objection. And when you incorporate accountability mechanisms to make the implementation and development a part of their day-to-day work, as opposed to a singular long-term event, you find that you not only get time back because you're actually using it more efficiently and effectively. And with regard to cost, many organizations have found that bringing in our organization actually saves them money because they're not paying for overhead, but instead are paying for impact and expertise. And since many L&D departments are stretched thin trying to upskill and reskill their current workforce, or they may not have the expertise on on deck like we do and what we bring to the table, it's really a cost saver all around. And when it comes to buy-in, it's important not to take an out-of-the-can generic approach. When you're trying to implement a customized design that's based on data and the needs of the organization, you'll find that you'd be way more effective than trying to just come up with the same old strategies that we find and see are clearly not working. When you follow that with a strong communication plan, with transparency, with a clear support from senior leaders, it helps to create cognitive remodeling, which helps you to get buy-in. Now, organizations have been trying to make strides in these areas, and some obviously more successful than others, like IBM, but because their focus was on short-term results rather than a long-term view, they're not getting the results they want. And in fact, things are actually getting worse, and they know it, because according to a survey by Deloitte, 86% of leaders believe that developing a next-generation leader strategy plan is an urgent or important issue. It's time to create and leave a legacy. Start sharing success stories from companies implementing similar programs and taking a stand that gender equality is an organizational issue and not a woman's issue. Today, more than ever, leaving a legacy isn't just a nice to have, but a must have to ensure we fix that leaking pipeline. Now, are you ready to leave a legacy with your organization? 
Take stock of what efforts are working and which are no longer effective. What can you start doing differently? What will it take to implement a future-focused approach? Now's the time to do something different before it literally becomes too late. And that's actually why we're hosting an executive roundtable to talk more about this topic. We're inviting leaders from across the country to talk about strategies and best practices so leaders can hear what others are doing and support each other to create and leave a legacy for the next generation of female leaders. Now, this is an invitation only event. So if you're interested and you are in a leadership position, go ahead and email us if you want to attend and we'll send you the registration information. And our email will be found in our show notes. And there you have it, Rebels. That's it for this episode. And I'll see you next time. But until then, have an amazingly rebellious week. See you soon. That's it for this week's episode. Hey, and if you're loving what you're learning, be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. Also, don't forget to read the show notes and grab the free resources mentioned so you can start implementing what you're learning right away. Finally, are you ready to unlock your potential and fearlessly go after the career and life you want? Then join me and a community of other high-achieving women in midlife, stepping into new levels of leadership, switching it up to do the meaningful and fulfilling work they're meant to do, and glowing up by creating the systems of freedom to achieve their dreams in Fearless, the Career Rebel Academy. You'll find the link in the show notes. Simply fill out the application, and together, we'll determine if this is the right fit for you. I can't wait to see you there.